Well, let me say it again. Merry Christmas. This is the eighth day of Christmas. And what gift do we give on the eighth day of Christmas? I'm actually asking. Maids of milking? Or is that 10? A what? Is it? I am amazed at me right now. That is amazing. Who got eight maids of milking today? Awesome. This is the eighth day of Christmas. We're still in that beautiful season of Christmas where we, as God's people, celebrate a God, this Emmanuel, a God who would come in, quite literally move into the neighborhood, a God who would take on flesh and dwell amongst us, who wouldn't shy away from the craziness of humanity, but who in love would plant himself in it. It is the eighth day of Christmas, a day in which we still celebrate, but it is also, it is also the new year. We are in that pivotal moment of looking forward to 2023, even as some of us are waving good riddance to 2022. We are in that moment between an old year and a new year, a moment caught between the past and the future. Now, I know that there are some in the room who love this moment, who, who love looking forward to the year with great anticipation and hope. There are some of you in this room who love nothing more than a blank page of paper and a pen to write all of the goals and dreams and hopes that you have for 2023. Some of you are setting goals for your year and you are just ecstatic about it. And there are others in this room who think you are crazy. Now what I love, I, I'm probably one of those people who actually enjoys thinking forward through the year. But, but more than that, I do love the moment of pause that allows us to look backwards. To see God's faithfulness in the year or the years that have preceded this moment. Uh, there was a, a tool of a devotion that I used that suggested what I should do is simply thumb through all the pictures on my phone. Because on my phone, it's date stamped, and so I, I can see the pictures that I've taken over the course of 2022. And to simply thumb through those pictures and pray a simple prayer, God, thank you for whatever that picture was. And some of those pictures, quite honestly, some of those pictures brought back great moments, and some of them brought back more difficult moments. But in all of it, to see God's hand. But I have to be honest, when, when I look backwards, it's always, it's always a little bit dangerous for me because I, I have a hard time simply stopping at one year. In some way, my, my brain will take me to years and years and years and years before. That, that one picture taking me to another memory, to another memory, to another memory, and finally to this memory that seems so deep in my mind that I wonder if it's actually a memory or if I made it up. I was recalling just this past week a conversation with a former colleague of mine. This was probably in 2007, when for the first time I was, I was contemplating shaving my head. 
Because, as lots of you already know, my hair has been on retreat since I was about 22, right? So it's just been slowly moving its way backwards on my head. And so in 2007, I was having this conversation with a colleague saying, hey, I think I'm going to shave all the hair off my head. And she was like, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And I remember reflecting, like, why? She's like, because people don't actually know the shape of their own head. Like, they, they don't know what's underneath all the hair they have. You're going to shave it all off, and you're going to be surprised that your head is not round. Now, in 2007, this seemed really wise to me. And so I left the little hair that I had still on my head. Uh, several years ago, this was during the pandemic, I was like, that's just crazy. Plus, more and more hair had been on retreat. So I'm like, I'm done with this, right? Shaving it off. Now, here's the thing. I was surprised that my head is not actually round. In fact, it's more like an oblong egg shape, if I'm honest. There is this little divot, like right here, right, right here. And shaving that is quite difficult. But, but I do it. I, I get through it. But there is this, like, little divot. And it, it's made me think, like, where did that divot come from? Now... My parents have always said that, you know, your head, like, it probably just didn't come together. But here's the thing. In a conversation with my dad, in a moment of what I think was both vulnerability and honesty on his part, he said, yeah, we, we probably didn't tell you, but when you were a kid, you were colicky, right? You, you cried a lot, and so my sort of you know, weapon to, to deal with all your crying was just to toss you in the air, and you love that. I'm like, that sounds awesome. And, and it just happens, Brian, that, that I was tossing you in the air as I was passing from one room to another room. And be, because I, I wasn't quite paying attention, I was, I was really focused on you, I wasn't focused on the door jam. And so as I tossed you up in the air, you hit the door jam with your head and you came down like a bullet. Now, quite, I was thankful that I caught you before you hit the floor. But that dent in your head, it's probably from the door jam. You know, every, every scar tells a story. I remember when I was an elementary kid, I was home one day and I was playing softball in my backyard. I was tossing a a softball up in the air and, and simply catching it with a glove, tossing it up in the air and catching it with a glove and tossing it up in the air and catching it with a glove. And because I probably wasn't paying attention a lot like my dad, I tripped over the metal edging around our yard. And when I got up, there was a big hole in my kneecap where skin normally is. And I was fascinated that through that skin, you could see what I think was actually my kneecap. I remember sort of hobbling into my mom saying, hey, this is my kneecap. And her losing her mind and rushing me to the primary care physician who stitched it back up. Now friends, the reality is when I wear shorts, there is a scar that still lives on my knee. It's not very pretty. But that scar tells a story. A couple years ago, 
diagnosis of colon cancer and surgery to follow where they take out three quarters of your colon, there are scars all over my abdomen, five of them actually. I remember the surgeon saying, you know what, my gift to you is that your belly button will never look the same. (laughs) Those scars also tell a story. Every scar tells some kind of story. Here we find ourselves on the eighth day of Christmas, on the day of the new year. We find ourselves in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter two, verse 21. Now if you wanna come back to that verse, this is where we're gonna land ourselves as we see Jesus receive a scar that will tell a story. So Luke chapter two, verse 21. Luke recounts this, he says, on the eighth day, it's the eighth day today, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. See, these eight days after Christmas, Mary and Joseph have been waiting, actually, to give the name Jesus to Jesus. It is official on that eighth day in the moment of a scar, and in this case, circumcision. Now, circumcision leaves a permanent scar in the skin of Jesus. And it does tell a story, but what story does it tell? On the one hand, it could tell the story of a faithful, of a faithful family, a faithful Jewish family, a faithful man, Joseph, and a faithful woman, Mary, who would follow the law in such a way that they would present Jesus at the temple for that circumcision, for that scar, and for the naming of their child. On the one hand, the story could be simply of Mary and Joseph's faithfulness to the law. But if we, if we go back in the memory of Israel, if we reflect on the places that Israel has been in her past, we'll find ourselves in Genesis chapter 17. Now, if you wanna go to Genesis chapter 17, you can. We're gonna spend a little time in Genesis 17. But Genesis 17 really begins not in 17, but in Genesis chapter 12. You see, there in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram. And he says to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your land and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And here's my promise to you, Abram, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to those around you. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And listen, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And there in Genesis chapter 12, verse five, we read that Abraham went. 
he heard the call of God to leave his homeland and to go to the land that God would show him. He does so in hope and anticipation and trusting the promise that God has laid out for him here in chapter 12. Now in chapter 15, God is gonna make a covenant, a sort of treaty, if you will, with Abram himself. And there, there, this covenant, this covenant would be a a, a promise or a contract between Abram and God himself. And then finally, finally, we get to Genesis chapter 17, where the, the mark or the sign or the scar of that covenant would be circumcision. Now, to to understand a little bit of what's happening here with Abram and this covenant-making and this skin-signing, scar-making covenant, we, we have to understand what's happening in the world. You see, Abram is leaving, Abram is leaving the safety of a large city of Haran. And he's gonna wander the desert places Now, at the the time of Abram, uh, there is no security outside of the city. If, If you're willing to risk it, if you're willing to wander in the desert, then then you are taking your safety into your own hands. There's no safety outside of the city. And so for Abram to take God's call and to leave Haran is to step into inherent danger. And and what is the danger? Well, the danger of the time of Abram are tribal groups who are living in the desert kind of like pirates, right? These are marauders. These are people who, if you're traveling from one city to another, might abuse you. Uh, They might cause violence. Right? They're, they're certainly going to strip you of everything that you have for their own plunder. And so as Abram leaves, as Abram leaves, he knows that the wisdom of the day is to align himself with one of those tribes so that he can become part of a community, a community that will say, listen, Abram, you're a part of us and we're a part of you. Right? If anybody harms you, then we're going to take care of that. Right? And if anybody harms us, you're going to help us take care of that as well. And so Abram would want to enter into a contract or a covenant with one of these tribes. Now, covenant making at the time of Abram was a bloody business. Uh, covenant making in- involved, of course, the the sacrificing of an animal. They would take a carcass and split it in half, and both parties would walk through that bloody carcass. Uh, doing two things, actually. The, the first is, the first is they are recreating a birth canal, that we are being reborn into a new family together. But they're also saying, and this is the second thing, they're also saying that if if, if we break this covenant, I get to do to you what we just did to the animal. So part of covenant making is this sacrificing of an animal. It's a, a walking through a new birth into a, a new family. 
And covenant making at the time of Abram would always involve some kind of mark or scar so that those around would know which tribe you belong to. It'd be like a tribal tattoo. I belong to that tribe, right? Or I belong to that tribe, or I belong to that tribe. No doubt, no doubt there was some kind of scar given, some kind of mark, some kind of sign that would tell the rest of the world who it is you belong to. And so in Genesis chapter 17, as God has entered into a covenant with Abram, there in this dream in 15, Abram sees this animal that is split in two and God's presence walking through. A sign that says, listen, Abram, you are going to be a part of my family. And if anybody curses you, then I'm there for you. You're a part of my family. I'm going to care for you. You're going to be a part of who I am, God is saying to Abram. And interestingly, in that moment, Abram is given a new name, the name of Abraham. Lots of scholars and rabbis believe that Yahweh that is God of the Old Testament, his name, Yahweh, that Yahweh gave to Abram a letter out of his own name, an H. Abram becomes Abraham. And interestingly, his wife Sarai becomes Sarah, another H from God's own name, as if to say, you guys, you guys are mine. But like covenants in the time of Abram, He's also given a scar. And so at 99, Abram is circumcised. And that scar, that sign, that mark, is a physical reminder of the promise that God has made to Abram, that you're mine, and I'm going to be there for you no matter what. It is a mark and a sign and a scar that tells the story of God's faithfulness and goodness and love for his people. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2, where Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple on the eighth day. And there, as a sign and a mark and a scar of that same story, but Jesus is circumcised, a picture of God's faithfulness and goodness and love for his people. Even here in Luke chapter 2, even in the story of God come to earth, of the one who would put on flesh and move into our neighborhood, even here in his own skin, he would have a mark, a sign, a scar that would tell the story of God's faithfulness. Now church, lots of us, lots of us have scars. Some of them, like the notch on my head, or the scar on my knee, or the scars on my abdomen. Lots of them perhaps are physical ones. But my guess is lots of us have scars too that are emotional or mental. 
And those scars tell stories too. I know there are some of us in this room who when we reflect on those scars, that shame and guilt build up in us because of the stories that those scars bring. Maybe those scars are the result of somebody's actions or words upon you. Or maybe those scars are because of words and actions that you put on somebody else. You and I, friends, we, we have scars, physical, mental, and emotional, and they all tell a story. It is interesting that for Jesus, this scar would mark the beginning of His life, a sign, a mark, a scar to remind Him and the world of God's faithfulness and goodness and love. And yet, it's a, it's a very different scar at the end of his life. Now we're talking about scars in hands and feet, at a cross of Calvary, a mark and a sign and a scar to remind the world of God's faithfulness and His goodness, and His forgiveness. See, those scars, those scars also tell a story. But here's the crazy, miraculous, mysterious thing, that those scars in the hands of Jesus and in the feet of Jesus, they tell your story because it's in the scars of his hands and his feet that all the scars, physical and mental and emotional, are born. It is in those scars where we find actually our healing. We find a a new story, a new family of faith in which we find ourselves. It's so interesting that Paul in the book of Galatians would remind us of baptism, that that place where you and I were buried in the water. We're somehow connected to Christ Jesus. And when we come up out of that water, we're, we're in a new family of faith. That is the mark and the sign. In some ways, that is the scar of God's covenant because it's in that place that God's Holy Spirit connects us to scars in hands and feet. It's also amazing that after the resurrection of Jesus, that Thomas, the one who wasn't there the first time Jesus shows up to his disciples like, no, Jesus didn't show up. When Jesus meets Thomas, what does he say? Thomas, why don't you touch my hands? why don't you touch the scar in my side? Thomas, these these scars are telling a new story. Friends, when we look backwards, we can see God's faithfulness and his goodness and his love. When we read this story of, of God's 
movement here in Luke chapter 2 to bring Jesus to the place of circumcision, we can see God's faithfulness and his goodness and his love. Friends, as we look forward, we will continue to see God's goodness and his faithfulness and his love. That all of those scars that we've borne in our hearts and in our spirits and in our bodies will one day, will one day be gone. That notch in my head, one day, be closed up and perfectly round. One day, that, that scar in my knee, gone. Those five scars in my abdomen, gone. The scars that are on my heart, also gone. It seems that in the, in the future, when God restores all things, when He takes all our scars away, the only scars that will remain are the ones in His hands and His feet and His side. The Lamb who was slain for you and for me. So here we are in this pivotal day <laughs> between what has been and what will be. I pray that you would see God's goodness and faithfulness and His love and forgiveness not only in your past, but also in your present, and let it lead us forward into the future as well. To God be the glory. Amen? And now may that peace of God which surpasses all human understanding. May guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.